Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 as we begin a new chapter. Though, as I said last week, I think chapter 3 should have started on at 2.17. But we are continuing our march through the book of Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and our text this morning will be verses 1 to 5. Listen to God's word. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel, to strengthen and encourage you to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Let's open our time in prayer. Father in heaven, as we come to this text this morning, again, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And that as we encounter these truths, that you would, again, convince us of the truth of them and that we would put them as part of the fabric of who we are and that we would be those who would be obedient to what we, what we hear here this morning. And so again, I pray that you will build us up and use your word in our lives as you see fit and that you will convict us where we need to be convicted and built up and that you will tear us down where we need to be tear, torn down. And I pray that we would leave this morning encouraged to be obedient to you, I pray in your name. Amen. While we've been working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and really since chapter 1, Paul has been on a bit of a mission to defend himself. And we saw at the beginning of of chapter 2 that Paul begins this defense of his ministry among them. And so he he, he has to, because there are opponents there that, that are accusing that Paul, when he was with them, was just like any other philosopher. And in fact, they kind of thought Paul as a poor philosopher at best. And so they were doing their best to get rid of this new church that was found in Thessalonica because they didn't want it there. And so the best way to do that was to attack the leadership. And so Paul is now forced to defend himself and to say, actually, we weren't anything like that. We were self-sacrificial. We, were, we, we didn't use you. We didn't try to get stuff from you. Our motives were pure. Our ministry was pure. And we walked in a way that was pleasing to God before you. And so then, as he continues on, as he comes to verse 17, he begins now to defend his 
himself again because he's being accused of now that you are left us. It's not just bad enough that he accused Paul of his bad behavior while he was with them. They now say, well, Paul has abandoned you and he has left you. Paul doesn't care about you. He, he just, when the going get, got tough, he got up and he left town. He's deserted you. He hasn't given you a second thought. And so Paul in verses 17 to 20 then began to defend himself and say, no, actually, I care deeply for you. I, I am, haven't forgotten you. And in fact, he says, I want to be with you in person. I want to see you face to face. And I have tried to come to you. It's not that I didn't want to, but Satan hindered me. And he says, I see you not not as something to be forgotten, something that was in my past, but I see you in my future. You are my joy. You are my hope. You are my glory. And far from forgetting you, You're in my heart. And as we saw last week, Paul really emphasizes the necessity of being together, of being face to face. And he says, I want to be with you face to face. I want to be in person with you. And I I can't stand being apart. But now as he comes to chapter 3, he recognizes and he says, listen, you thought... It's easy for me to say to you, in in essence, I love you. I tried to come see you. I made every effort, right? They really don't know. They're not there. And Paul could easily have just said, you know what? I I really want to see you face to face. And and give flowery words and, 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 and flatter them and really not care. But Paul says, actually, that's simply not true. He says, I am concerned for you. And my concern led to action. In other words, I didn't just speak about it and I just didn't pretend to come to you, but I actually made provisions so that you would be taken care of. And he says, I wanted to take care of you because my concern for you wasn't just that I thought you Thessalonians were irresistible. It's not that I thought that you Thessalonians by yourselves were just so wonderful and so awesome that I just had to be your friend. No, Paul's concern for the Thessalonians, like Paul's concern always was, was for their faith. In other words, his concern for them was in the faith and for their faith. Paul was continually worried about his converts and those who followed him because he wanted them to be faithful and to continue in the faith. In fact, this word faith is used five times here in this passage. We see it in verse 2, your faith. We see it in verse 5, your faith. We see verse 6, your faith. Verse 7, your your faith. Verse 10, your faith. And we're getting a theme here that Paul is concerned about. He's concerned about their faith. In other words, he's concerned about them continuing in the faith. He wants them to endure. He wants them to keep going. And he wants to make sure that they're okay. And so as Paul comes to this section, not only does he express concern for their faith, but he demonstrates what's necessary and and what should be on our hearts when we think of others. And so he says, first of all, I want you to know, Thessalonians, 
that I was so concerned for your faith that I was willing to be self-sacrificing. In other words, I was willing to do something for you that at my cost. I didn't forget about you, but I was concerned about your faith and so concerned that I actually changed the way I did ministry in order for your sake. And then he says, I'm concerned about your faith. And he says, One, here's how I demonstrated my concern for you. Because he says, your faith is, is coming in affliction and your faith is being tested. And he says, I warned you. I was willing to warn you. I was actually willing at the very beginning to tell you what was coming so that your faith wouldn't be overrun when trials came. In other words, I, I didn't leave you unprepared. I prepared you by telling you about the problems that were to come. And then finally, Paul demonstrates a protectiveness for them and a protectiveness for their faith, recognizing that Satan is against them and Paul wants to continually make sure that their faith endures. And so as Paul comes to this passage then, he is concerned with the Thessalonians' faith. And he really gives us three, three activities that he does that should be something that we are willing to do and something that is necessary as we try to help others in the faith to make sure that they endure. So first of all, Paul is self-sacrificing. Paul is self-sacrificing. He says this, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer. So this word, therefore, we always ask, what's the word therefore, therefore? And so we never get tired of saying that either. But we, we recognize that, that Paul is pointing back to the passage before. And he said, I've been ripped away from you. And he says, but in light of the fact that you are our glory and our joy, he says, we could endure it no longer. We're separated from you and we could endure it no longer. Now this word in, to uh, endure has the, literally means to cover, to cover. Now it's, the idea here isn't to cover, to conceal. But this term was used of a watertight covering that was put on a boat or a vessel in order for water not to go through. And he says, we can no longer cover our feelings. The idea is, Paul says, I am, guess what? My feelings are so strong to the point now where I can't, I can't endure it. I can't keep it in. My feelings are leaking out. My, I, it's, I'm like a leaky vessel. I'm like a, a vessel whose cover has finally lost its ability to keep water in. And now I, I am leaking my affections. And he says, I, I couldn't stand it anymore. I, could, I couldn't keep it up. Sweet says, The floodgates of the apostle's heart, full heart, were at length forced to open up by the pressure of his love. He could no longer refrain from an expression of his inward feelings. And Paul says, We couldn't stand it anymore. It's not that Paul was trying to hide his feelings, but he's just saying it, they, they became overwhelming and, and the feelings led to action. In other words, something had to take place. It wasn't enough just to feel it. I had to do something. And so it leads to this. Paul says, we thought it best to be left at Athens alone. 
Now, the scholars debate here whether this we means Paul, Timothy, and Silas, if it means Paul and Silas, or if it just means Paul. And so they are split on this. And ultimately, it will not make a whole lot of difference if it's, if it's one or three. Most scholars would understand this to be Paul speaking in the royal we, or where he's speaking for the group, but he himself is speaking. And so he is, he is, it's more than likely that Paul is speaking primarily for himself, but in, in, but in his humility is speaking for his fellow workers as well. And he says, we thought it left to be behind at Athens alone. And, and again, this word alone has the idea as completely alone with no one else. And that's why most scholars would understand that Paul is speaking here of Paul being left alone. And he said, we thought it best. This, this is word here is used back in verse 2.8 where it says we were well pleased. And the idea here is there was a, a definite plan. In other words, we thought we made a definite plan and we made it, there was a decision to make and we made that decision. We did it freely of, a, of our own free will. We did it willingly and goodwill. It was a deliberate choice. And he says that choice was to be left behind. Now this word can be translated be to be forsaken or abandoned. It implies the feeling of loneliness, desolation, which sweep, which sweep over a person when they are left alone. And Paul says, Paul says, this is the way I felt. I, 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 was, I, was, I felt orphaned when I left you. But he says, now because of my concern for you, I am willing to be once again alone. I'm, I'm once, I am willing to feel that feeling of abandonment for your sake. Now, if we look at Paul's ministry, he makes it a practice of having co-workers with him wherever he, be, wherever he went, especially as he began a new work. He went everywhere with co-workers. We often think of Paul as this standalone guy who wasn't afraid of anything and did everything by himself, but he wasn't. When he was commissioned, he was sent out with Barnabas. He didn't just go out alone. He, he started his ministry, and everywhere he went, we know that John Mark actually joined him and that was important to Paul because when John Mark abandoned him what did he do he said he's not don't we're not taking with him he's abandoned the work yet we know that John Mark joined him again we know Titus went with him we know that Luke ultimately was with the disciples so there's all of these people that are in Paul's life and he continually had these people around him to work with him And so as we, th- as we recognize that this is the way Paul operated, this is what he, how, he, how he did ministry, we know that the fact that he was willingly left behind indicates it was a sacrifice for him. It wasn't something that he would, he would do naturally. And so this is unusual as Paul leaves, is left alone in Athens, completely alone. And so Paul does this not because it's good for him, but because it's beneficial and even maybe necessary for the way that he does ministry. 
Now, it's, there's some interesting historical details that are, are take place here. And the, and the scriptures don't give us a full picture. They don't, they don't give us all of the details. But it would seem that when we look at Acts 17.10, we find that Paul and Silas had to leave Thessalonica for Berea. Now, they did not want to go from Thessalonica. Again, they were forced. They were, the, the mob came after them. But it seems as if that Timothy was not, they did not come after Timothy. Timothy wasn't part of that agreement. And so that bond that was made with Jason, so Timothy was allowed to stay behind in Thessalonica. So Paul and Silas leave and they go towards Berea. And of course, what happens in Berea? Paul is again cast out of Berea. But he, it seems like he leaves Silas there in Berea. And by that time, Timothy had joined them in Berea. Paul is having to leave again for, there for, because of his safety. And he's forced to travel ahead. And so there seems to have been agreement that he would, for some time, that Paul would go to Athens. And he would just pause there and wait for his companions to catch up. He could cool off from the persecution and take a rest until they met him there. Now we assume that from 1 Thessalonians 3 verses 1 and 2 that Paul then received Silas and Timothy there in Athens. Now Luke doesn't describe that in Acts 17, but there's good reason to believe that Silas and Timothy joined Paul in Athens for a short period of time. And once they get to Athens, Paul sends them out again. Silas was probably sent to the church in Philippi. He sends Timothy back to Thessalonica, leaving Paul indeed alone in Athens. And so Paul, not wanting to stay in Athens, leaves, heads to Corinth. And we read in Acts chapter 18, this unique part of missionary Paul's missionary strategy. He arrives in Corinth alone and begins ministering alone, something that Paul never did. And then it is sometimes later that Silas and Timothy will then come to him in Corinth and they will again be a team and they will minister together. So we see that Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. Timothy could go back. He wasn't forbidden to go back. So Paul immediately sends him back. And again, this is an outgrowth of his concern for them. He has concern for the Thessalonians. He doesn't know what's taking place for them. And so he could no longer contain himself, and he, he has to send Timothy to f- see how those believers were doing. And as he does, as he sends them back, he describes Timothy in a unique way. He describes him as, first of all, our brother, our brother. And so Paul is dispatching him, and although he is dispatching him, Paul uses this term of familial equality and spiritual kinship. He says he's our brother. He's on equal footing with us. He's part of the the family of God. Now, Paul in other places refers to Timothy as his brother, but I mean as his spiritual son, I mean, sorry, in the faith. But here he refers to him as his brother. And there's kind of this idea that Paul is, is uplifting Timothy and he's lifting his, him up in the eyes of the Thessalonians and he's rec- getting them to recognize that 
Timothy is beginning to take on more of the ministry, that he has more of more responsibility that is already taking place. But it is this next identification of Timothy that has caused a lot of ink to be spilled. Because Paul says in this next one, he refers to Timothy as God's fellow worker. As God's fellow worker. Now, if you were to look at the manuscripts, you will see that there has been some gymnastics that has been done on this verse. Because for the, for the scribes, they had a hard time believing that Timothy could be God's fellow worker. They had a high reverence for God, and I think it's something that we have lost a lot in our society, but they had a high reverence for God, And they also view Timothy as a subordinate to Paul. So how on earth can you call Timothy God's fellow worker? So to get around this, some of the copyists and some of them have come up with some different ideas. They thought, this elevates Timothy too high. We can't have this. And so for some of them, they just eliminated the word of God. So they would say, Timothy, our brother and fellow worker. And they just leave God out of it. They just take that out of there because that, 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 that solves that for them. Other texts would put the word servant in there. And so a deaconess and so a servant. And so they would call Timothy a servant of God. Some manuscript add some words and say God's servant and our fellow worker and they, and they turn it around because they want to avoid this idea of, of Timothy being God's fellow worker. And you can see why, because this word is, comes from the Greek word synergos. We get the word synergy from that, synergy. Working together. It's like having two gears that are working together they are working in harmony together. And the, the scribes had a problem with this. How could Timothy be working in synergy with God at this level? Well, as hard as it is, and as amazing as that phrase is, that's what Paul says. And it reflects the seriousness of Timothy's commission, what he was called to do, and the work that he was to set out to do. It describes the seriousness of the work that he was set out to do. Now it says in the gospel, in the gospel, and so again here he is speaking of Timothy's work towards the gospel the gospel of Christ. He is, he is one who is involved in working for the gospel, the gospel that refers to Christ, the, the, the content of that gospel. And he is God's fellow worker in getting that gospel and the truth of Christ out. So sending Timothy was not a small thing. It wasn't, it wasn't it, it's, it's, uh, it's not, a, it's not just a sacrifice for Paul. It's not just something that made Paul uncomfortable. But the, the idea here is that, that 
Timothy was being sent as God's fellow worker. He was, he was uh, we would say, involved in the ministry alongside God. So why did he? Why was he sent? Why was he to do that? He says the purpose to send Timothy was to strengthen and encourage your faith. To strengthen and encourage your faith. So that was what was the primary thing. This is what made Paul sacrifice. Uh, why he was willing to sacrifice. This is why Paul was willing to send him. This is what takes the purpose and and this is what takes preeminence over everything else because of the work that he was willing to do. Now he says here, really there's a twofold thing that he is to do for them. He is to strengthen them and encourage them as to your faith. In other words, Paul's concern is their faith. And he says, first of all, you are to be what? You are to strengthen. The idea of of, of strengthen means to stabilize something. It has the idea of giving, to cause them to be internally firm, to set something in place. It's got the basic idea of stabilizing something by providing a support or buttress. It was we could we could say this. It compares to the firming up of buildings for for an earthquake. In other words, they go in there and they retrofit these buildings to strengthen them so that the next time an earthquake comes, it, they don't fall over. And Paul says this is what Timothy was to do. He was to go and retrofit their faith. He was to go and to strengthen them. And this was Paul's priority within his ministry. This was something that he was always aiming at, was to strengthen the faith of his converts. For an example, in Romans 1.11, Paul says, For I long to see you. Now again, coming off of last week, we see again an emphasis on what? Face to face. I long to see you. I long to be with you. And so it's necessary to be together. He says, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be strengthened. That you may be spiritually strengthened. That you may be strong. He says this again, and the same idea in Luke. No, so, I'm sorry. So he wants to be strengthened. Now what we're seeing here is this. That... Timothy is working as God's fellow worker. They are working together. But we know this, that strengthening ultimately can only be done by God. Strengthening can ultimately only be done by God. This is what Paul says in, as we look at 1 Thessalonians three twelve. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may, what? Establish your hearts. In other words, the strengthening is ultimately done by who? By God. Yet, we know this. 
He says that you will be strengthened spiritually, that you may cause to be spiritually firm. And he says, God, you need to be coming together for that. To be strengthened. Ultimately, it is God. Yet, he says, I'm sending Timothy to do that. In other words, there is a work together. God doesn't do it alone. He sends Timothy. God uses means. And so he says, this is the necessity of, God, of the church coming together because God uses human instruments to meet the needs. Secondly, not only did Timothy receive the call to strengthen them, but to encourage them. And so this, this word here, to encourage, he, he's saying, I, I, I want you to not just, is used back in verse 211, where he speaks of fathers who are to be those who are to what? Exhort their children. And the idea there is to learn and to instruct. But here it takes, in this context, it takes on the idea of comfort, to encourage, to encourage one another. And again, the idea is to motivate them to live out sound doctrine, to motivate them in their Christian walk, to give them comfort as they go forward. This word to encourage, is, it, it, this idea here is the idea of paraclete. In other words, it is used, this is what is used of the Holy Spirit. He is the comforter. He's the one that comes alongside. And we know again that no encouragement can come outside of God. In other words, God is the one who ultimately can comfort. He, the Holy Spirit is the one who is able to come alongside and comfort. He's the one who, who does it. Yet this comfort is done through human instrumentality. In other words, God uses, not only does he, is he the one who produces it, but he uses means to get it done. We think about the gospel. God doesn't just download the gospel on people and save them. He uses us as a means to give the gospel. And here he says, actually, I'm using people to help encourage others. We could say this. There is the capital P paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who ultimately brings comfort, but he uses small p paracletes to bring that comfort and to bring the word of God to people. And so Paul could describe Timothy as God's fellow worker because God uses divine agency and he brings it about through human agency. And so he says, I'm sending Paul to you, I mean, I'm sending Timothy to you to encourage you and to strengthen you. He says, I want you strong in the faith. I want you grounded in the faith. I want you firm in the faith. And I'm going to do that through encouragement. This is what's going to and comfort you. And so this is something that we, we, need, to, we need to understand. When people are in persecution for their faith and people are in trouble, it's not just enough to pray for them. Now, we need to start there, and often we, we, we jump ahead and we forget to pray. But in God's economy, He's actually designed it for us to be those who minister to one another. 
And we must, we must encourage one another in the faith and we must, we must strengthen one another because God uses agencies. And it doesn't happen in isolation. It doesn't happen in isolation. And so many people pursue isolation. They get into trouble and the first thing they want to do is they want to turtle. They want to go be alone. And they want to hide. Or they think, you know what, I'm the Lone Ranger Christian and all those other Christians just hold me back. Right? They just hold me back. If, I, if, I, if me, the Holy Spirit and the Bible, that's all I need. And I, I don't need the rest. And there are those who continue to struggle and, and they feel downtrodden and they're discouraged and, they're, and they, can't, they, they can't get victory. And what we find out is that they are not coming in for fellowship. They are not coming to the church. They are pursuing their own isolation. And it removes them from the context. And it removes them from the very place that God has designed for them to be strengthened and encouraged in the faith that they might have victory. And so he, Paul desires that they be strengthened in the faith and that they, be, that, they, that they be encouraged in the faith through Timothy. And then he says this, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. This is the ultimate purpose of sending Timothy for strengthening, for encouragement. Paul wants them not to be disturbed by these afflictions. Now notice this. We often think that Paul is dealing with in, in, in the large, like he's dealing with large people, but what does he say here? If you look at it, he says that no one. His focus is down to the individual. Paul is concerned with each individual in the church. Paul said he wanted to present every man what? Complete in Christ. He did not want one member of the church to be failed to be encouraged by Timothy. This word disturbed here is often used of a dog wagging its tail. The idea is, is a dog wags its tail. That's what a dog does. A cat doesn't do that like that. A dog wags whatever he's got back there. He just wags and he goes, right? And so it came in time to be used to be shaken. And you can kind of get that idea of a, a dog shaking. And, it, and so he says to be shaken. To be the idea of agitation, instability. And he says, I want you to be encouraged by Timothy and I want you to be strengthened so you would not be disturbed. By what? By afflictions. We saw that word back in verse 1-6 where they received the word in much affliction, to suffer persecution, comes from this verb, means to press together, to oppress. It was used of a pressure needed to burst a grape. And so he says, I, I, I'm afraid that you are, you, are, you are suffering under these afflictions, this outside pressure, and I'm afraid for your faith. And this is why I want you to be encouraged. 
and he's talking here not so much about internal struggles, but outside struggles. The idea here is that the pressure is coming from outside. It is the persecution and the circumstances that are pressing down on these converts. And the idea, it's a pressure that's ongoing and repeatedly applied. This pressure that they got when they received the word, it's that pressure that was coming at the hands of their own countrymen. And so they were ostracized, they were maltreated. They were facing mild to severe persecution. And Paul is concerned for them. Life was difficult for the Thessalonians. So Paul loves the Thessalonian church and he's willing to sacrifice his own missionary strategy in order to reach them. And so as Paul looks, as we look at this, we recognize that spiritual stability of other believers, especially as they face persecution, should be our great concern. We should be looking and helping them. Paul is setting a pattern for us and that we should help them and be concerned for them as they face pressure and persecution, not just in word, not just to talk about it, but to actually go to strengthen and encourage. So Paul says, listen, Thessalonians, you think that I wasn't coming? I'm so concerned for you. I'm so concerned for your faith that I was willing to absolutely change the way I do ministry. I I stayed alone as I sent Timothy for your benefit. And so he says, uh, far from from forgetting you, I sacrificed for you. And so we too must be willing to sacrifice for the faith of others. I find it just interesting just, as it is that this is the apostle paul like if you if you were to hear a local pastor say well i like to do ministry this way but i felt i needed to 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 adjust for someone's good you'd be like yeah but this is actually the apostle paul and so we, we we see how like this is This is much greater than you first think, right? It's not just the guy next door. This is the Apostle Paul, and yet he was willing to sacrifice and even adjust for the faith of others. How much more should we be willing to do the same? Well, Paul was also willing, as we said, to prepare his people for persecution. Paul was willing to teach the hard things to them. Paul didn't, Paul didn't just, you know, come to Jesus, life is going to be good. Fact is, it's going to be great. Sky's going to turn blue. The mortgage is going to go away. You're going to have great health. You're going to be driving a BMW. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, so and, and everything's going to be great, right? Paul didn't say that. In fact, he, 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 he was willing to prepare them and as, a, as a person who was, was concerned for their faith, as someone who loved them, he didn't just give them you know, the information to get them into heaven and then just say, oh, it's going to be a breeze, things are great. He actually was willing to prepare them 
And in preparing them, he demonstrated his love for them because then when, when trials would come, they wouldn't be washed away. They wouldn't, they wouldn't think something was wrong. So Paul says here in, in the middle of verse 3, For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For you yourselves, you know that you have been destined for this, for these afflictions. Paul Paul once again calls upon their common experience. Paul continually through this book reminds them of what they know. He says, you know this, that we have been destined for this. We've been set. It's been ordained. Now we read verses like this, all who live, in God, who live godly lives must suffer persecution. A slave is not above his master. And we kind of get the idea that these things are kind of an inevitable side part of the Christian life, right? Like you're gonna have to suffer. And we kind of get this idea that God allows these things, you know, he kind of gives permission on the side as if, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's just kind of God lets it go. I'm going to allow Satan to do this as if somehow it's, it's not really ordained by God. And yet it says you are here, what? Destined for this. You were destined. In other words, it's like Paul says in Philippians 1.29, for you... For, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. Now you know that your salvation was granted to you. That was something that was given to you by grace. And yet, we've, we often forget that second part, and to suffer for his sake. In other words, God has ordained your suffering. God is bringing it about. You're not a victim of Satan's plan. You are are exactly where God has placed you and, and he has brought it about for your good. God is a good and loving God and yet he says, I planned this. I designed this for you. The Christian life is not about trying to live righteously and then just hoping that things don't happen to you. Because God says, actually, you're destined for it. You're destined to suffer. I ordained it for you. And I bring it about for your good. You may not always know why. You might not know at the moment why it's taking place. But he says, every circumstance I bring into your life... I ordained it. I brought it about. I didn't just give a concession to Satan. I'm in charge. This is what we are to expect in the Christian life. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance. Paul is again looking back to the time where he was with them. He goes into the past and he says, guess what? When we were with you, we kept on telling you this. 
He says, I'm appealing to your understanding of the case. You know this. You, you experienced this. When we came to you, we kept on repeatedly telling you that this was going to take place. He said, that, he said we told you that, you were going to, that we were going to suffer affliction. This isn't, should not be a surprise to you. We warned you at the very beginning. And we repeatedly warned you so that you would get this, so that you would have this mindset that when persecution comes, you know that it is by God's design. We didn't withhold this from you. We didn't say, come to Jesus and your life is going to get better. And we came to Jesus and find out that it got worse. No, he said, guess what? You come to Christ and things are going to get a lot worse because God has this in his plan. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be surprised that these things are taking place. You will suffer affliction. You will be persecuted for my name's sake. Then he says this, and it came to pass. And it came to pass. In other words, we were up front with you. You, you think, you think, you, you think that we don't care? You don't think that we were honest with you? You don't think that we were upright with you? He says, and it came to pass. In other words, Thessalonians, take some comfort in this. The fact that you are suffering for your faith is exactly what we told you would happen. So you're thinking that we left you and that we don't care about you and that we, that we lied to you? He says, we didn't. We were straight up. We told you this would happen. And it's happened. It has happened. We kept telling you in advance. We told you before we left. We, we were faithful to that, that we were going to suffer. So it's come to pass. He says, as you know. He now appeals to their experience. You know this, you know this by experience because you have suffered affliction. And so Paul here is willing to prepare his people for, for afflictions for their faith. He's not a prosperity guy. He's not telling them that everything's great. He actually telling them that if you come to Christ, expect things to get worse. Expect to be persecuted for your faith. This isn't something, this isn't something that should discourage you from the faith. This should encourage you because this is exactly the way God has designed it. This isn't some unfortunate set of events. This is actually God's ordained means for you. And so you can look back and you can actually take encouragement from it rather than being discouraged from the faith. Then Paul moves on to verse 5 and, he, and we can see his concern, protective concern for the endurance of their faith. He says in verse 5, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, 
I also sent to find out about your faith. So this is kind of a, we would call this almost like an inclusio. He kind of goes right back to where he started at the very beginning. And he expresses those same ideas. I, when I could no longer endure it. When I, when I got to that point where I couldn't keep my feelings in, in anymore and they were leaking everywhere and then I had to do something, I sent to find out about your faith. Now again, Paul is not, is not saying I, I, there was an, a second journey, a second messenger sent, but now Paul speaks specifically for himself as in his sending of Timothy. And he said, I, I sent to find out about your faith. I had to know my concern for you was for your faith. And he says, I had this fear. I, I, I had this fear of, that something would had, would that Satan would have tempted you. He says, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Paul says, I have this godly fear, this godly concern, this godly anxiety. He says, I have this anxiety for you. And he expressed this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he said, it wasn't so much the physical things that bothered Paul, right? And, and Paul went through a lot. Think about that. How many times was he beaten, shipwrecked? How many times had he dragged himself into a new place, all beaten and bloodied? But he says, none of that compares to my burden for the faith of those in the church. His concern was for the perseverance of the church. He had sent Timothy that he might get the assurance that this haunting possibility that they could have been tempted by Satan and have strayed from the faith. Now you notice this, he doesn't identify Satan here by his name. He doesn't call him his adversary. Earlier he called him the accuser in 2.18 that prevented Paul from returning to Thessalonica. But here he has a specific idea in mind and he characterizes Satan by his activity of tempting where he is trying to cause them to be away from the faith. And he's concerned that Satan has come in and that he, he is tempting them either by trying to, to prevent the, the, the word from being heard or he also uses a strategy of trying to take that seed away. It's planted and he tries to take it away quickly so that there's no ability for it to take root. But if that doesn't work, Satan also comes along and he tries to keep prevent people from being firm in their faith and he tries to get them discouraged and he gets them beaten down and so he is tempting them away from the faith he's tempting them to doubt god tempting them to live a life that is not victorious and so paul is concerned because he says i was with you and i i was i i, I saw your response to the gospel. I saw your response to the word, but I don't I didn't stay there long enough to know. And so he says my concern is is that that your faith was superficial, that you didn't truly come and that Satan has bothered you to the point where you have left the faith. 
Paul again takes for granted that this temptation has actually occurred. And he is concerned for their faith. Now you might say, but, but, but pastor, back in chapter 1, he called them elect. How can he call them elect earlier and then be concerned about their faith? And I say timeline. Timeline, right? Paul didn't know this when he wrote. So when he begins, when he begins this, when he sent Timothy, right? When he sent Timothy, he didn't know yet. So as he writes Thessalonians, Timothy has come back with a report, and so he can, he can say to them, I know his choice of you. I know his choice of you. I know that you are elect. In verse 4 of chapter 1. And yet here, he doesn't know that, and so he's concerned for their faith. And then Paul says at the end of this, I, 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 I less my ministry is in vain. It's empty. It's purposeless. There's nothing gained by this. And he says, my concern is that our labor there would be lost. It would be of no value. Now, he, he, he doesn't say this is happening, but he says there's a potential for this to happen. That all of our labor would come to nothing. That everything that we did there would prove to be empty like a nut without a kernel inside. Paul voices a similar concern when he writes to the Galatians in Galatians 2.2. And it was because of the revelation that I went up, I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but did so in private to those who are repudiation for fear that I might be running and had run in vain. So there was this fear that there, it would come to nothing, that everything that Paul had accomplished would come to nothing. So Paul showed a concern that they would continue in the faith, that they would continue to, to go forward and that they would not be taken away. And so Paul wanted to recognize that his concern for them was a concern that they would continue to go and continue in the faith. And so Paul shows this concern that he, his desire isn't just that they get saved, as it were, but that they continue in the faith and that they demonstrate Christ-likeness and faithfulness and endurance in their faith. And that too should be our concern. Our concern should be for those in the faith that they continue in the faith and that we are the ones who continually go and to check on them, recognizing that Satan is there, that he is trying to prevent people from growing in the faith. He's trying to prevent people from getting in the faith and he wants to, to keep people from growing and being spiritually strong. And so we too need to be those who recognize that and have a concern for the endurance of others. It's not just something that we, we pray about and leave, but it is something that needs to be on our hearts that we go after those who are weak in the faith. 
So Paul demonstrates here to the Thessalonians then his concern for them. As he gives, as he, as he demonstrates for us the, the things that should be part of our ministry, the things that we should do for others, that we'd be willing to be self-sacrificing for the good of others, that we warn people of the cost, that we prepare them for the battle, that we don't leave them unprepared, and that we have a continuing concern for their ongoing. We don't just get people in or, and, and then abandon them, but we are concerned that they continue to grow and continue to follow the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your many blessings to us. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for Paul's example of a man who was, had a heart for the believers, for their faith, and how he was willing to do whatever it took in order for them to be uh, strong in the faith. And so I pray that you would give us a heart, a heart that would be willing to be sacrificial, a heart that is willing to prepare others for the battle, and uh, a concern that we help others continue in the faith. And so I pray that you would help us to be faithful in those areas. In your name, amen.